Chapter Eleven, Part One of Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens. Chapter Eleven wherein a certain gentleman becomes particular in his attentions to a certain lady, and more coming events than one cast their shadows before. Part One. The family were within two or three days of their departure for Mrs. Todgers's, and the commercial gentlemen were to a man despondent and not to be comforted because of the approaching separation, when Bailey, Jr., at the jocund time of noon, presented himself before Miss Charity Pecksniff, then sitting with her sister in the banquet-chamber, hemming six new pocket-handkerchiefs for Mr. Jenkins, and having expressed a hope, preliminary and pious, that he might be blessed, gave her, in his pleasant way, to understand that a visitor attended to pay his respects to her, and was, at that moment, waiting in the drawing-room. Perhaps this last announcement showed, in a more striking point of view than many lengthened speeches could have done, the trustfulness and faith of Bailey's nature, since he had, in fact, last seen the visitor on the doormat, where, after signifying to him that he would do well to go upstairs, he had left him to the guidance of his own sagacity. Hence it was at least an even chance that the visitor was then wandering on the roof of the house, or vainly seeking to extricate himself from the maze of bedrooms, Todgers as being precisely that kind of establishment in which an unpiloted stranger is pretty sure to find himself in some place where he least expects and least desires to be. "'A gentleman for me!' cried Charity, pausing in her work. "'My gracious, Bailey!' "'Ah,' said Bailey, "'it is my gracious, and it. Wouldn't I be gracious neither, not if I was him?' The remark was rendered somewhat obscure in itself by reason, as the reader may have observed, of a redundancy of negatives, but accompanied by action expressive of a faithful couple walking arm in arm towards a parochial church, mutually exchanging looks of love, it clearly signified this youth's conviction that the caller's purpose was of an amorous tendency. Miss Charity affected to reprove so great a liberty, but she could not help smiling. He was a strange boy, to be sure. There was always some ground of probability and likelihood mingled with his absurd behaviour. That was the best of it. "'But I don't know any gentleman, Bailey,' said Miss Pecksniff. "'I think you must have made a mistake.' Mr. Bailey smiled at the extreme wildness of such a supposition, and regarded the young ladies with unimpaired affability. "'My dear Mary,' said Charity, "'who can it be? Isn't it odd? I have a great mind not to go to him, really.' "'So very strange, you know.' The younger sister plainly considered that this appeal had its origin in the pride of being called upon and asked for, and that it was intended as an assertion of superiority, and a retaliation upon her for having captured the commercial gentleman. Therefore she replied, with great affection and politeness, that it was no doubt very strange indeed, and that she was totally at a loss to conceive what the ridiculous person unknown could mean by it. "'Quite impossible to divine,' said Charity, with some sharpness. "'Though still at the same time you needn't be angry, my dear.' "'Thank you,' retorted Mary, singing at her needle. "'I am quite aware of that, my love.' "'I am afraid your head is turned, you silly thing,' said Cherry. 
"'Do you know, my dear,' said Mary, with engaging candor, "'that I have been afraid of that myself all along. "'So much incense and nonsense and all the rest of it "'is enough to turn a stronger head than mine. "'What a relief it must be to you, my dear, "'to be so very comfortable in that respect, "'and not to be worried by those odious men. "'How do you do it, Cherry?' "'This artless inquiry might have led to turbulent results, "'but for the strong emotions of delight evinced by Bailey, Jr., whose relish in the turn the conversation had lately taken, was so acute that it impelled and forced him to the instantaneous performance of a dancing step, extremely difficult in its nature, and only to be achieved in a moment of ecstasy, which is commonly called the frog's hornpipe. A manifestation so lively brought to their immediate recollection the great virtuous precept, "'Keep up appearances, whatever you do,' in which they had been educated." They forbore at once, and jointly signified to Mr. Bailey, that if he should presume to practice that figure any more in their presence, they would instantly acquaint Mrs. Todgers with the fact, and would demand his condign punishment at the hands of that lady. The young gentleman, having expressed the bitterness of his contrition by affecting to wipe away scalding tears with his apron, and afterwards feigning to wring a vast amount of water from that garment, held the door open while Miss Charity passed out, and so that damsel went in state upstairs to receive her mysterious adorer. By some strange occurrence of favourable circumstances, he had found out the drawing-room, and was sitting there alone. "'Ah, cousin,' he said, "'here I am, you see. You thought I was lost, I'll be bound. Well, how do you find yourself by this time?' Miss Charity replied that she was quite well, and gave Mr. Jonas Chuzzlewit her hand. "'That's right,' said Mr. Jonas. "'And you've got over the fatigues of the journey, have you? "'I say, how's the other one?' "'My sister is very well, I believe,' returned the young lady. "'I have not heard a complaint of any indisposition, sir. "'Perhaps you would like to see her and ask her yourself.' "'No, no, cousin,' said Mr. Jonas, "'sitting down beside her on the window-seat. "'Don't be in a hurry. "'There's no occasion for that, you know. "'What a cruel girl you are!' "'It's impossible for you to know,' said Cherry, "'whether I am or not.' "'Well, perhaps it is,' said Mr. Jonas. "'I say, did you think I was lost? "'You haven't told me that.' "'I didn't think at all about it,' answered Cherry. "'Didn't you, though?' said Jonas, "'pondering upon this strange reply. "'Did the other one?' "'I'm sure it's impossible for me to say "'what my sister may or may not have thought "'on such a subject,' cried Cherry. "'She never said anything to me about it "'one way or other.' "'Didn't she laugh about it?' inquired Jonas. "'No, she didn't even laugh about it,' answered Charity. "'She's a terrible one to laugh, ain't she?' said Jonas, lowering his voice. "'She is very lively,' said Cherry. "'Liveliness is a pleasant thing when it don't lead to spending money, ain't it?' asked Mr. Jonas. "'Very much so indeed,' said Cherry, with a demureness of manner that gave a very disinterested character to her assent. "'Such liveliness is yours, I mean, you know,' observed Mr. Jonas, as he nudged her with his elbow. "'I should have come to see you before, but I didn't know where you was. "'How quick you hurried off that morning!' "'I was amenable to my papa's directions,' said Miss Charity. "'I wish he had given me his direction,' returned her cousin, "'and then I should have found you out before. "'Why, I shouldn't have found you even now if I hadn't met him in the street this morning.' "'What a sleek, sly chap he is, just like a tomcat, Auntie. "'I must trouble you to have the goodness to speak more respectfully of my papa, Mr. Jonas,' said Charity. 
I can't allow such a tone as that, even in jest. Ecod, you may say what you like of my father, then, and so I give you leave, said Jonas. I think it's liquid aggravation that circulates through his veins and not regular blood. How old should you think my father was, cousin? Old, no doubt, replied Miss Charity, but a fine old gentleman. A fine old gentleman, repeated Jonas, giving the crown of his hat an angry knock. "'Ah, it's time he was thinking of being drawn out a little finer, too. "'Why, he's eighty. "'Is he indeed?' said the young lady. "'And he cod cried Jonas. "'Now he's gone so far without giving in, "'I don't see much to prevent his being ninety. "'No, nor even a hundred. "'Why, a man with any feeling ought to be ashamed of being eighty, "'let alone more. "'Where's his religion, I should like to know, "'when he goes flying in the face of the Bible like that?' Three score and ten's the mark, and no man with a conscience and a proper sense of what's expected of him has any business to live longer. Is any one surprised at Mr. Jonas making such a reference to such a book for such a purpose? Does any one doubt the old saw that the devil, being a layman, quotes scripture for his own ends? If he will take the trouble to look about him, he may find a greater number of confirmations of the fact in the occurrences of any single day. "'than the steam-gun can discharge balls in a minute. "'But there's enough of my father,' said Jonas. "'It's of no use to go putting oneself out of the way by talking about him. "'I called to ask you to come and take a walk, cousin, "'and see some of the sights, "'and to come to our house afterwards and have a bit of something. "'Pecksniff will most likely look in in the evening,' he says, "'and bring you home. "'See, here's his writing. "'I made him put it down this morning "'when he told me he shouldn't be back before I came here.' "'in case you wouldn't believe me. "'There's nothing like proof, is there? "'Ha, <laughs> ha! "'I say, you'll bring the other one, you know.' "'Miss Charity cast her eyes upon her father's autograph, "'which merely said, "'Go, my children, with your cousin. "'Let there be union among us when it is possible.' "'And after enough of hesitation "'to impart a proper value to her consent, "'withdrew to prepare her sister and herself for the excursion. "'She soon returned, accompanied by Miss Mercy, who was by no means pleased to leave the brilliant triumphs of Todgers's for the society of Mr. Jonas and his respected father. "'Aha!' cried Jonas. "'There you are, are you?' "'Yes, fright,' said Mercy. "'Here I am, and I would much rather be anywhere else, I assure you.' "'You don't mean that,' cried Mr. Jonas. "'You can't, you know. It isn't possible.' "'You can have what opinion you like, fright,' retorted Mercy. I am content to keep mine, and mine is that you are a very unpleasant, odious, disagreeable person. Here she laughed heartily, and seemed to enjoy herself very much. Oh, you're a sharp gal, said Mr. Jonas. She's a regular teaser, ain't she, cousin? Miss Charity replied, in effect, that she was unable to say what the habits and propensities of a regular teaser might be, and that even if she possessed such information, it would ill become her to admit the existence of any creature with such an unceremonious name in her family, far less in the person of a beloved sister. Whatever, added Cherry, with an angry glance, whatever her real nature may be. "'Well, my dear,' said Mary, "'the only observation I have to make is "'that if we don't go out at once, "'I shall certainly take my bonnet off again and stay at home.' "'This threat had the desired effect "'of preventing any farther altercation, "'for Mr. Jonas immediately proposed an adjournment, "'and the same being carried unanimously, "'they departed from the house straightway. 
On the doorstep Mr. Jonas gave an arm to each cousin, which act of gallantry, being observed by Bailey, Jr., from the garret window, was by him saluted with a loud and violent fit of coughing, to which paroxysm he was still the victim when they turned the corner. Mr. Jonas inquired in the first instance if they were good walkers, and being answered yes, submitted their pedestrian powers to a pretty severe test, for he showed them as many sights in the way of bridges, churches, streets, outsides of theatres, and other free spectacles, in that one forenoon as most people see in a twelve-month. It was observable in this gentleman that he had an insurmountable distaste to the insides of buildings, and that he was perfectly acquainted with the merits of all shows, in respect of which there was any charge for admission, which it seemed were every one detestable and of the very lowest grade of merit. He was so thoroughly possessed with this opinion, that when Miss Charity happened to mention the circumstance of their having been twice or thrice to the theatre with Mr. Jenkins and party, he inquired, as a matter of course, where the orders came from, and being told that Mr. Jenkins and party paid, was beyond description entertained, observing that they must be nice flats, certainly, and often in the course of the walk, bursting out again into a perfect convulsion of laughter at the surpassing silliness of those gentlemen, and doubtless at his own superior wisdom. When they had been out for some hours, and were thoroughly fatigued, it being by that time twilight, Mr. Jonas intimated that he would show them one of the best pieces of fun with which he was acquainted. This joke was of a practical kind, and its humour lay in taking a hackney-coach to the extreme limits of possibility for a shilling. Happily, it brought them to the place where Mr. Jonas dwelt, or the young ladies might have rather missed the point and cream of the jest. The old established firm of Anthony Chuzzlewit and Son, Manchester, warehouseman, and so forth, had its place of business in a very narrow street somewhere behind the post-office where every house was in the brightest summer morning very gloomy, and where light porters watered the pavement, each before his own employer's premises, in fantastic patterns in the dog-days, and where spruce gentlemen, with their hands in the pockets of symmetrical trousers, were always to be seen in warm weather contemplating their undeniable boots in dusty warehouse doorways, which appeared to be the hardest work they did, except now and then carrying pens behind their ears. A dim, dirty, smoky, tumble-down, rotten old house it was, as anybody would desire to see. But there the firm of Anthony Chuzzlewit and Son transacted all their business, and their pleasure too, such as it was, for neither the young man nor the old had any other residence, or any care or thought beyond its narrow limits. Business, as may be readily supposed, was the main thing in this establishment, insomuch indeed that it shouldered comfort out of doors and jostled the domestic arrangements at every turn. Thus, in the miserable bedrooms there were files of moth-eaten letters hanging up against the walls, and linen rollers and fragments of old patterns, and odds and ends of spoiled goods strewn upon the ground, while the meagre bedsteads, washing-stands, and scraps of carpet were huddled away into corners as objects of secondary consideration not to be thought of but as disagreeable necessities, furnishing no profit, and intruding on the one affair of life. The single sitting-room was on the same principle, a chaos of boxes and old papers, and had more counting-house stools in it than chairs, 
not to mention a great monster of a desk straddling over the middle of the floor, and an iron safe sunk into the wall above the fireplace. The solitary little table, for purposes of reflection and social enjoyment, bore as fair a proportion to the desk and other business furniture as the graces and harmless relaxations of life had ever done, in the persons of the old man and his son, to their pursuit of wealth. It was meanly laid out now for dinner, and in a chair before the fire sat Anthony himself, who rose to greet his son and his fair cousins as they entered. An ancient proverb warns us that we should not expect to find old heads upon young shoulders, to which it may be added that we seldom meet with that unnatural combination, but we feel a strong desire to knock them off, merely from an inherent love we have of seeing things in their right places. It is not improbable that many men, in no wise choleric by nature, felt this impulse rising up within them when they first made the acquaintance of Mr. Jonas. But if they had known him more intimately in his own house, and had sat with him at his own board, it would assuredly have been paramount to all other consideration. "'Well, ghost,' said Mr. Jonas, dutifully addressing his parent by that title, "'is dinner nearly ready?' "'I should think it was,' rejoined the old man. "'What's the good of that?' rejoined the son. "'I should think it was. I want to know.' "'Ah, I don't know for certain,' said Anthony. "'You don't know for certain,' rejoined his son, in a lower tone. "'No, you don't know anything for certain. You don't. "'Give me your candle here. I want it for the gals.' Anthony handed him a battered old office candlestick, with which Mr. Jonas preceded the young ladies to the nearest bedroom, where he left them to take off their shawls and bonnets, and, returning, occupied himself in opening a bottle of wine, sharpening the carving-knife, and muttering compliments to his father, until they and the dinner appeared together. The repast consisted of a hot leg of mutton with greens and potatoes, and the dishes having been set upon the table by a slipshod old woman, they were left to enjoy it after their own manner. "'Bachelor's Hall, you know, cousin,' said Mr. Jonas to Charity. "'I say, the other one will be having a laugh at this when she gets home, won't she? "'Here, you sit on the right side of me, and I'll have her upon the left. "'Other one, will you come here?' "'You're such a fright,' replied Mercy, "'that I know I shall have no appetite if I sit so near you, but I suppose I must.' "'Ain't she lively?' whispered Mr. Jonas to the elder sister, with his favourite elbow emphasis. "'Oh, I really don't know.' "'replied Miss Pecksniff tartly. "'I am tired of being asked such ridiculous questions.' "'What's that precious old father of mine about now?' said Mr. Jonas, "'seeing that his parent was travelling up and down the room "'instead of taking his seat at table. "'What are you looking for?' "'I've lost my glasses, Jonas,' said old Anthony. "'Sit down without your glasses, can't you?' returned his son. "'You don't eat or drink out of them, I think. "'And where's that sleepy-headed old Chuffy got to? "'Now, stupid!' "'Oh, you know your name, do you?' "'It would seem that he didn't, for he didn't come until the father called. "'As he spoke, the door of a small glass office, "'which was partitioned off from the rest of the room, "'was slowly opened, "'and a little blear-eyed, weazen-faced ancient man came creeping out. "'He was of a remote fashion and dusty like the rest of the furniture. "'He was dressed in a decayed suit of black, "'with breeches garnished at the knees with rusty wisps of ribbon.' the very paupers of shoe-strings. On the lower portion of his spindle legs were dingy worsted stockings of the same colour. 
He looked as if he had been put away and forgotten half a century before, and somebody had just found him in a lumber closet. Such as he was, he came slowly creeping on towards the table, until at last he crept into the vacant chair, from which, as his dim faculties became conscious of the presence of strangers, and those strangers' ladies, he rose again, apparently intending to make a bow. But he sat down once more without having made it, and breathing on his shriveled hands to warm them, remained with his poor blue nose immovable above his plate, looking at nothing, with eyes that saw nothing, and a face that meant nothing. Take him in that state, and he was an embodiment of nothing, nothing else. "'Our clerk,' said Mr. Jonas, as host and master of the ceremonies, "'old Chuffy.' "'Is he deaf?' inquired one of the young ladies. "'No, I don't know that he is. He ain't deaf, is he, father?' "'I never heard him say he was,' replied the old man. "'Blind?' inquired the young ladies. "'No, I never understood that he was at all blind,' said Jonas, carelessly. "'You don't consider him so, do you, father?' "'Certainly not,' replied Anthony. "'What is he, then?' "'Why, I'll tell you what he is,' said Mr. Jonas, apart to the young ladies. "'He's precious old, for one thing, and I ain't best pleased with him for that, "'for I think my father must have caught it of him.' "'He's a strange old chap for another,' he added in a louder voice, "'and don't understand any one hardly but him,' he pointed to his honoured parent with the carving-fork, in order that they might know whom he meant. "'How very strange!' cried the sisters. "'Why, you see,' said Mr. Jonas, "'he's been addling his old brains with figures and bookkeeping all his life, "'and twenty years ago or so he went and took a fever. "'All the time he was out of his head, which was three weeks, "'he never left off casting up. "'and he got to so many million at last "'that I don't believe he's ever been quite right since. "'We don't do much business now, though, "'and he ain't a bad clerk.' "'A very good one,' said Anthony. "'Well, he ain't a dear one at all events,' observed Jonas, "'and he earns his salt, which is enough for our lookout. "'I was telling you that he hardly understands anyone except my father. "'He always understands him, though, and wakes up quite wonderful. "'He's been used to his ways so long, you see.' "'Why, I've seen him play whist with my father for a partner, and a good rubber, too, "'when he had no more notion what sort of people he was playing against than you have. "'Has he no appetite?' asked Mary. "'Oh, yes,' said Jonas, plying his own knife and fork very fast. "'He eats when he's helped. "'But he don't care whether he waits a minute or an hour as long as father's here. So when I'm at all sharp set, as I am to-day, I come to him after I've taken the edge off my own hunger, you know. Now, Chuffy, stupid, are you ready? Chuffy remained immovable. Always a perverse old file he was, said Mr. Jonas, coolly helping himself to another slice. Ask him, father. Are you ready for your dinner, Chuffy? asked the old man. Yes, yes, said Chuffy, lighting up into a sentient human creature at the first sound of the voice so that it was at once a curious and quite a moving sight to see him. "'Yes, yes, quite ready, Mr. Chuzzlewit. Quite ready, sir, all ready, all ready, all ready.' With that he stopped smilingly, and listened for some further address, but being spoken to no more, the light forsook his face by little and little, until he was nothing again. "'He'll be very disagreeable, mind,' said Jonas, addressing his cousins, as he handed the old man's portion to his father. He always chokes himself when it ain't broth. Look at him now. Did you ever see a horse with such a wall-eyed expression as he's got? 
If it hadn't been for the joke of it, I wouldn't have let him come in today. But I thought he'd amuse you. The poor old subject of this humane speech was, happily for himself, as unconscious of its purport as of most other remarks that were made in his presence. But the mutton being tough and his gums weak, he quickly verified the statement relative to his choking propensities, and underwent so much in his attempts to dine that Mr. Jonas was infinitely amused, protesting that he had seldom seen him better company in all his life, and that he was enough to make a man split his sides with laughing. Indeed, he went so far as to assure the sisters that in this point of view he considered Chuffy superior to his own father, which, as he significantly added, was saying a great deal. End of chapter 11, part 1